0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Wow, what a sweet time of worship. I think we need to have the mission teams fly out here every week and uh, join us for such a thing. (laughs) We're going to be in the 23rd Psalm. So for those of you who are turning to Romans, we're going to take a pause. We're not leaving that study, but we're going to pause for seven weeks and we're going to take a seven week deep dive into a study through the 23rd Psalm. So if you want to make your way to the 23rd Psalm and you're using one of the pew Bibles and the seats that's there in front of you, that is on page 483. If you use the Bible app, there is a ton of extra stuff. I mean, like hundreds of more scriptures that have to do with this and the sermon in there. So if you go there, you find our event, uh, Redeeming Life Church event, you will find more stuff. If you save that, you can keep it, I think it disappears after a week, but you can make notes, you can highlight if you use that. So make your way now, if you would like to follow along with me, to the 23rd Psalm. I still hear some pages turning, so I'll take the opportunity to say, if my voice sounds a little higher, uh, it's not because the EQ is messed up and the sound guys have done something weird, or it's, if it's raspy, it's not because I've taken up smoking, um, <laughs> Uh, If I'm coughing or or drinking some water here, it's also not because I have COVID or anything. Because I was talking while I was eating, I swallowed a piece of sausage into my lungs, which is apparently not where you swallow stuff. I've coughed most of it out. I think it's out, but my voice is feeling uh, the brunt of all the coughing. So uh, don't be alarmed. All right, let's go ahead and now turn our attention to the 23rd Psalm. God's Word says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Let's pray. Oh, Father, as we seek to see the majesty of the Good Shepherd in this text this morning, speak mightily to us. May we be your sheep who know you and recognize your voice and follow you. God, use this morning and this time, even the the preached word through just a, a feeble man, to speak mightily to change our souls as we journey towards the kingdom. Lord, we love you. We just seek to know you better this morning. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So, there are some pastors in the room, or people who've been pastors, or people who've done some ministry work, chaplain work, things like that, and they would tell you the same thing I'm telling you. When you go on a hospital visit and when you say, hey, um, <clears throat> can I read some scripture to you? What would you like me to read to you? If they're close to the end, if they're struggling, if they're nervous, if they're worried, the majority of the time they ask for the 23rd Psalm. That, that's what I need to hear. I need that. And you go, well, that makes perfect sense because maybe they're coming to the end and that would be comforting and, and encouraging. Uh, But we probably ought to be comforted and encouraged by the 23rd Psalm even when we're not at the end. Even when we're not there. Because it doesn't change. The good shepherd hasn't changed. It's not like suddenly it's amazing and it's not amazing before. The problem, however, is if if I say, hey, look, we need this shepherd and this shepherd does all these things and provides and we're we're like sheep. It just sounds weak. We don't like that. We don't want to sound weak. We want to sound strong. We say things like, I got this. I can do it. In that attitude, we miss what is here. In that self sufficiency, we actually don't get to see the glory of what the psalmist David, when he wrote this beautiful prayer and song, was wanting future generations to see. The funny thing is, we're really not strong. We come into the world completely helpless. We need help by God's design. We have to have somebody feed us and care for us and clean up after us and protect us for quite a while after we're born or we would simply die. That's just by God's design. And it seems that even though we come into the world helpless, almost none of us go out of the world without being helpless too, or at least needing help. Most of us, towards the end of our life, whatever that might be, we need help. It happens. I know there's a lot of young people here with the mission team, so I'll I'll say I know it's easy to think, well, not me. I'm so far removed from that. But you could get T-boned pulling right out of the parking lot right here in an hour when you leave. These things can change in an instant. In an instant. And suddenly you feel helpless, in need, scared. I'm sure the family of that beautiful little girl in Kaysville in the 4th of July parade was not prepared to be feeling so helpless when their little girl got ran over in the parade and lost her life things change in an instant when you're least expecting it in my line of work I can tell you I've seen the strongest people I've ever known leveled to a helpless state in an instant so don't think it won't happen to you or can't happen to you it very well could so we need to put our confidence in something other than ourselves, because that can happen so quick. That can, that can change everything in a moment when we trust ourselves, and then we can't take care of ourselves. But if we don't put our confidence in ourselves, <clears throat> a lot of times we'll put our confidence or our assurance in someone or something else. So if it's not us, we're, gonna put, we're not just going to leave it empty. Everybody like is trusting someone or something for that confidence and that comfort, if not themselves, something else. Sadly, most of the time, it's not that we're trusting the shepherd of the 23rd Psalm. So some of us, even Christians, might slip into, might, might drift into, lean into, or, or just drop right into without excuse, putting our trust somewhere else, like in a spouse. We see it all the time. We see women that say, I just can't live without a man. I've got to have a man in my life. We see, we see a couple who will then maybe be separated by death, and almost immediately the spouse runs out and gets married. just cannot. I have to have this. I can't be lonely or helpless or weak. I, I, I need to put, in a sense, you put your hope in a spouse or a single person that's so hungry for marriage that they'll do anything at all costs to have that person in their life. We see it, we do it. We're guilty of it. Or maybe we put our confidence or, or our, our comfort or our trust in our ability to make money. I got a good job. I got a good degree. I can always do this. I can do that. I can make money. Or maybe it's just I have a bunch of savings, so I'm going to trust that. Or maybe it's like even my understanding of how to manage money. So we, money becomes a really serious confidence builder for a lot of people and a trust. I've been in places where money evaporates like this and the richest people are the poorest people. That's what happens in a war almost every time. Then the money has no value whatsoever. I got a bag full of money that has Saddam Hussein's handwriting on it because that's how they printed it, and it was worth exactly nothing. The people who had a lot of it suddenly had no value whatsoever. It happens. Your money will not last forever forever. Or how about those other things that might make you feel safe? I'm okay because I have these things that protect me and make me feel safe. Maybe, I don't see anybody in here, but maybe it's the mask and some of us that I feel safe because I'm wearing a mask. Maybe it's the gun you're carrying and keeping hidden. You feel okay because you've got it. Maybe it's your gated community. That gate's going to keep me safe. I'm going to put my trust in that. Maybe it's just the fact that you know you can call 911 and get help. There's always some help out there. You trust that if I pick up the phone and I dial 911, police or firefighters or an ambulance are going to show up, so I'm okay. Any of you ever been in a country where that doesn't exist and never exists? Man, that'll change your thinking in a heartbeat. There's nobody here. It's like when you're camping, you got no signal. there's There's no help coming. Even the things we trust in can just evaporate like that. Political leaders who claim they know exactly where we need to go. How many of those have come and gone? How many of them have been wrong? All of them. Government systems or courts. I'm just gonna put all my trust in the court. Like we do this. We if it's not confidence in ourselves, it's confidence in someone or something else. Now, none of that, none of that matters. When you're sitting at the the side of a person who has a day or an hour left to live, or minutes. On multiple occasions in my life, I've looked into the eyes and talked to people at the very end of their life, some bleeding out, some in a hospital bed. None of those things matter when you're in that moment. None of it. Which means, is it really worth putting your confidence in when it can't provide in the last, most important minutes of your life on earth? What's the point? What's the point? It's why we should be very familiar with the good shepherd of the 23rd Psalm. Because that's who all those people, if they're Christians, want in those last trying moments when everything else has failed, when everything else has evaporated. The only thing that stands is this shepherd. Who do you... uh, find your direction from and let's be really honest for a minute who where do you go okay i'm going to follow that person that person there's where i'm going to find direction who alleviates your fears i mean really the moments of fear is it you is it the thing you put other trust in or is it this shepherd is it jesus christ who alleviates your fears from where does your protection come from from where do you or from whom do you draw all of your comfort for life and death, our only hope in life and death. right? Where, where do you find that comfort? Christians will never really understand Jesus until we can honestly say, the Lord is my shepherd. That's how this opens. So we're going to take seven weeks, we're gonna, I mean this week plus six more, to just take a deep dive, to drink deeply from the well of these six verses. Next week we're going to look at verse 1, the week after that verse 2, Verse. we're going to do a verse by verse through it. But here's the problem, a verse by verse study can be helpful. You can do deep word studies, you can learn what all the words mean. You can, we're going to talk about shepherds and pastures and, and all these things. We're going to dig in. But none of that will be very helpful if we have no idea how each of those verses relate to one another or how they fit together in the bigger picture. You can know everything there is to know about the shepherd, but if you don't know how it all fits together, what's the point? So today, my aim is to say, okay, I'm going to give us the big view of how this whole thing works together so that hopefully in the coming weeks that will greatly serve us as we really dig in. So I'm going to pull back. I'm going to look at the big themes. I'm going to look at the illustration. I'm going to look at how that illustration runs through the Bible. And then I'm going to show you something really cool right at the conclusion about where this psalm just fits with things. That's my goal. I hope that we can do that, and I hope we don't run out of time. So, for starters, let's go ahead and just take a look at the big biblical illustration of shepherds. Not just here. This is just one of many of this huge illustration that God seems to love. It goes all the way back to Genesis 4-2. The first shepherd we see in the Bible, who's not Jesus, is Abel. It says Abel was a shepherd, and he provided from his firstborn of his flock in a sacrifice, and it made Cain so mad that Cain killed him. He was jealous. He killed the shepherd. Abraham owned a lot of livestock, but he probably wasn't a shepherd. He, he uh, hired out that task. He had hired hands. But it seems that maybe his grandson, Jacob, learned about shepherding in the family business because we see that Jacob went off to find a wife and ended up serving as a shepherd for his uncle Laban. And if you read Genesis 29 through 30, you're going to find out that he was a good, like he was a successful, a profitable shepherd. He made Laban rich. And then he also made himself rich through the process of how he managed to breed the sheep and whatnot. He was blessed. God blessed that shepherd. Jacob's son, Joseph, was maybe a shepherd. His whole family were shepherds. His brother, or his brothers were shepherds, at least. And we know that because when Jacob went out to go check on them, they were out in the fields, pastures. They were in the pastures. They were tending to the flock. That's Genesis 37, 12. And then when the family came to, to move to Egypt, when the famine happened, and they're going to, Joseph's reunited, you know, probably remember the story. They introduced themselves to the Pharaoh in Genesis 46, 31 through 34. say so they said, we are shepherds. That's what we do. And so they're going to live in Goshen because the Egyptians didn't like shepherds, but that was where the pasture land was. So we see they were shepherds. Some of God's blessed, cherished people through the Bible that tell the story are shepherds. How about Moses? No, no, he wasn't a shepherd. He worked in, you know, he was the son of Pharaoh, because he was adopted, what happened after he ran out there to Midian? He protected some shepherd ladies from some other shepherds who were trying to take advantage of him, and they went, ooh, I like this guy, and one of them married him. He's my protector. And so he joined the family business. In Exodus 3.1, it says that, that Moses was shepherding his father-in-law's sheep when he encountered the burning bush. Later, we see that God called him to shepherd God's people out of Egypt and lead them. David was a shepherd. King David. Well, I thought he was a king. Yeah, but before that, he was a shepherd. He had great experience as a, as a shepherd, fighting off bears, lions, protecting the sheep, doing all these things. He's the one who penned this. He wrote this psalm. So you can read about that in 2 Samuel 16 and 17. And then God called him in, in 2 Samuel 5 2, He said, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will be a ruler over Israel. The prophet Amos was a shepherd. Technically, he was a sheep breeder, it says, but I'll put that in the category of shepherd. I think that's a part of it. That's what Jacob was doing. That's in Amos 1.1. Jesus was an earthly carpenter in his earthly ministry. In his, in his humanity, he was a carpenter, but in his deity and in his spiritual task and ministry, he repeatedly said, I am a shepherd. Not only is he the shepherd, he's even the gate of the sheep pen. He's the shepherd. He said, my sheep will hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me, John 10, 27. I am the good shepherd, he said, John 10, 11, and I'll say it again in verse 14. He's the one David is speaking about. When he says, my Lord is a shepherd, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus, and in this theme, God often uses shepherding, that particular task, as an illustration for pastors and leaders. So I want to show you that. If you would turn with me to John 10, verses 11 through 13. If you're using one of those paper Bibles under the seats, it's going to be on page 952. Uh, If you would find your way to John chapter 10, which John chapter 10 is one of my favorites in all the Bible. I love John chapter 10. Also, by the way, keep your finger here because we're going to come back to John chapter 10. Okay, so Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. Those are the religious guys who were usually jerks and Jesus did not usually say things they liked. He's talking to the Pharisees and he's, he's making a mention of bad shepherds. Let's go ahead and read this conversation. John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. Jesus says to them, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now here comes the contrast. The hired hands, since he is not the shepherd, and does not own the sheep, leaves them, and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. It happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. Boy, that's some pretty stinging words. Jesus is insinuating that the Pharisees are the hired hands and the bad shepherds, and he's actually alluding to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, there's a condemnation against the bad shepherds, the people who did a terrible job leading the people of Israel. And it's not pretty. And Jesus is saying, you're them. You're those hired hands. This illustration for leaders and pastors, it's showing us, as we just read, a uh, selfless picture of leadership and a selfish picture of leadership. So in this case, Jesus is the selfless good shepherd and the hired hands are... Are selfish the illustration also shows us a picture of skilled and unskilled leadership okay so jump down to john uh 27 or john 10 verse 27 now by the way 26 says you don't believe because you're not of my sheep like he's blasting these guys then he says this verse 27 my sheep hear my voice i know them and they follow me i give them eternal life they will never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. He's saying, not only am I a good shepherd, I'm a perfect shepherd. Not one of these is getting lost. Not one of them is getting snatched away. They're not getting stolen. They're not going anywhere. And he's drawing a contrast that likely plays on the lazy shepherds that are condemned in Jeremiah chapter two. I mean, he's blasting these Pharisees. In Jeremiah chapter two, God says, look, you shepherd the people, he says, like I shepherded the people when I led the people out of Egypt into the promised land. But you didn't lead the people, he's saying in Jeremiah chapter two, they got lost. You just led them, you were lazy. You didn't do your job. You didn't keep your skills sharp and all the people you were supposed to lead and guide and shepherd Wandered off and scattered, and so Jeremiah's condemning those shepherds. This seems like it might be a picture to say, you Pharisees are lazy like that. You're selfish, and you're lazy. You're unskilled. They were supposed to be like God when God led the people out of bondage. What does the Bible say, quite often actually, about a people without a shepherd? They wander, they're lost, they're scattered. What made Jesus cry when he was at the tomb of Lazarus? It says Jesus wept. Some people will say, well, Lazarus was laying in the tomb. His friend was there dead. I don't think that in the slightest made him cry. You know why? He straight up knew what he was about to do. I'm going to pull that guy right out of the grave. It's going to be awesome. What made him so sad? Right before that, it says he saw out across the city, Jerusalem. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, a people without a shepherd scattered and and struggling what does the bible say what happens when we strike the shepherd strike down the shepherd what happens the people scatter they get lost they wander about with no direction god uses the picture of this shepherd as an illustration he also uses it to show the difference between pastors and false prophets With shepherd language, we use this language so often. It's the shepherds and the wolves. The Greek word from where we get the word pastor is the same root from where we get the word shepherd. They're really almost synonymous. They're very close. When you call me a pastor, you're really saying you are a shepherd. And I hope you really recognize the magnitude of that. I know people, or Peter, got that illustration well. As we installed Josiah as an elder, I went to the same... Text that I want to talk about right now. Do you remember, Peter, John is restoring Peter. He's at the beach. Peter denied him three times, and he says, do you love me three times? He restores him, it's beautiful, and he gives him that charge. He gives him the charge in John 21, verses 15 through 17. You can read about it. We don't need to go there now. He tells Peter, feed my sheep. It's a really fancy way of saying, provide them what they need for help. Preach the word, tend to them, give them truth. Feed my sheep. Then he says, protect my flock. Then he says, feed my lambs. Three times he says, do the work of a shepherd. Peter, you're getting called as a shepherd. That's the work. And that illustration for pastors gets used a lot. And then we even use the word pastor. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Excuse me, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. All shepherding, all of it. Jesus also used the shepherding illustration for false prophets. What did Jesus call the false prophets? What did he call them? Wolves. He called them wolves. Matthew 7, 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come in sheep's clothing. Trying to trick the shepherd, see? Trying to trick the sheep. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. Shepherd illustration, good shepherd, bad shepherd. We saw at the beginning, selfish or selfless. We saw skilled, none of them getting away, totally unskilled and lazy, they all got lost. We see wicked leading away or caring and protecting. These are the... The illustrations. Paul picks up the same theme that Jesus uses, this shepherd wolf theme, and it's important. It's important for you. Listen to this as his final instructions to the elders, the pastors at the church in Ephesus. He gathers them together, the shepherds of that church, and he gives them these final instructions among the final instructions before he goes to Rome where he will be martyred. He says this. This is Acts 20 verses 28 through 30. He says, be on your guard yourselves, And for the flock, okay, not the congregation, not the the flock, shepherd language, and for the flock, which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Really, what are these wolves going to look like? Oh, he tells us, man, and it could also be women, man will rise up even from your own numbers, and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. That was Paul's warning to the elders, and he used the same shepherding illustration. This shepherding illustration is very important. Jesus made the claim that he is the good shepherd, the good pastor. So if we're going to understand Jesus, we need to understand what the Bible says about the good shepherd. That's, I mean, that's who we want to know. That's the person of Jesus. And so now let's go back to the psalm. Now with all that background, if you just flip back over there, you can kind of go down this line. I'm not going to get into all the details because we have six sermons coming. So if you're like, oh, tell me more about It's coming. Just come back for the next six weeks and we're going to just we're gonna drill down into this. So I want to get into it. I just can't. Okay, David is using a shepherd illustration in verses one through four. Okay, he's saying, look, look at this. Okay? And what we see in the illustration, as we just walk right through those four verses, is we see that the, the shepherd provides for the sheep and he provides well. We see that he provides rest in green pastures. Those green pastures are also food. I have what I need. There's quiet waters. He's the provider. We see this shepherd in this illustration leads the sheep, and not to the slaughter, but to good places. He leads them to green pastures where they can rest, where they can eat. He leads them on the right paths, and he leads them out of the darkest valleys. He's protecting them, carrying them. You're not hanging out in the darkest valley. You're leading them right on through. He leads them. This good shepherd restores and renews the life of his sheep, it says. How? Well, he gives rest. He gives rest. How many of you are burned out? How many of you are tired? How many of you are weary? Jesus gives rest. Rest to those who are heavy laden. And the rest is in green pastures. Think about where this is being written. I mean, it's the Middle East. Green pasture sounds pretty good. Quiet waters. I mean, I want to go there right now. Like the actual grass and water, I'll take it. Like let's go and put up a hammock and rest. He leads us through the darkest valley. Through. So if you're in the dark valley, he's leading you through it. That means you go in one side, but you come out the other. Through, keep going. He's leading you out. So if you want to get out of the dark valley, you got to follow. He's leading. He's taking you there. We go through it, and then there's light on the other side. He alleviates any fear. The shepherd alleviates any fear we should have always. And man, I, <clears throat> I, wanted, I'm gonna, I cannot wait. I hope I'm preaching that verse. Because I want to really drill into this more. But listen to this. It's not even when you're in the darkest valleys. It's not like, I mean, it's not only when you're in the darkest valleys he alleviates the fear. Don't we only seem to think of the good shepherd comforting us only when we're in the darkest valleys? But that is not what the verse says at all. Do you see what it says? Even when I'm in the darkest valley. That means when I'm right here and it's not the darkest valley. And then I'm over here and it's, you know, a little bad. And then I'm over here and it's pretty bad. And then I'm over here, even when I'm all the way in the most fearful place on the planet, the darkest valley, the dark night of my soul, the most scared. even when I'm here. There's no limit to how much fear he can alleviate. It's in all these places, every place. That means there should be zero, no fear. Even in the most afraid, he's there. That means he's there and he's everywhere in between, alleviating our fears. And how? Because it says he's with me. Just having the presence of the shepherd with you is good. And then he has this rod and he has a staff and those are his tools. And they comfort me. You're comforted. Where are you comforted? Even in the darkest valley and every place between here and there. These are the things we see in this illustration. This is the truth of the shepherd. My shepherd. Maybe your shepherd if you're... A Christian and this we see in David draws out a response he just shared who the Shepherd is he's given us the story he shared some facts and then in verse 5 and 6 it changes it's a new paragraph in the poem something changed something changed the focal point has changed notice what it says you he was telling us a fact but now he's talking to God you Prepare a table for me. You anoint my head. Here's the truth. Here's the facts. Here comes praise to God. Now he's declaring to the Lord. You do all this. It's you, Lord. But notice where the shift actually happened. Not at the paragraph break. Don't be confused. Look back in your Bible. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. Why? because you are with me he was proclaiming fact it was so amazing it shifted and now he's just praising God he can't get away it's all about God this you do this so when you go through the darkest valleys or when you go through any other place that's not the darkest valley and you're comforted by the Lord and you discover you don't need to have fear suddenly it's not head knowledge fact anymore of who Jesus is Something of this truth has just moved and it's just morphed right down into your heart, into the epicenter of your emotion and your feeling. And now you have this undeniable feeling that is tangible truth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not from your head, it's from your soul. And you can't deny it and you can't shake it. It's something totally different. That's what it means to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's radically transforming. Where do you experience it? Where did the psalmist experience it? in the darkest valley, in any other place there could be fear, and you didn't have it, because Jesus is with you. It's not just information and facts anymore. He's a person. He's the provider. He's the protector. He's the comforter. He's the good shepherd. He is Jesus, and he can be your shepherd, and I hope he is. I hope he is. At this realization, now you've hopefully come to grips with the fact that you need a shepherd, Not just when you're in your last minutes of life. You always need a shepherd. We were made to need a shepherd. That's how it works. And that shepherd is Jesus. It's Jesus. So we shouldn't be embarrassed that we've ever put confidence in other things. We should just repent. That means, okay, stop doing that. Now that you see it, just stop doing it. Stop putting your confidence there And believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and He's your shepherd and He's for you, caring for you, guiding you, leading you, with you. I mean, do you realize that the only reason you have any days at all or any hours or even the breath you're breathing right now is because the shepherd is leading you and providing for you and protecting you and comforting you? I mean, even if you deny this good shepherd, He's still doing it for you. What do we do with that? I mean, that's big. I think for starters, we follow him. (laughs) I think we thank him. I think we thank him. And that's what we do when we're singing worship songs and praises to him, is we're thanking him. I want you to remember that every time we sing these worship and praises songs, there's this aspect of thank you. Also, it's really easy when we sing the song, Jesus, thank you. Okay, it's kind of a no-brainer. So let's remember this when we're praising the Lord that he's our shepherd providing and doing all these things and protecting and comforting us. You really don't understand Jesus until we understand Jesus like this as our good shepherd. Until you've got this, you don't have this Jesus. This is the one. Now, I have one more thing. Shouldn't take long. I hope you find it as interesting and I hope encouraging as I did this week. I really do. God not only inspired the words of the psalm, he ordered this thing as it came together. He put this book of prayers and songs together as he did, and technically it's five books all assembled, and, and God had a hand in all of that. He, he managed it, and he watched over it. Have you ever noticed where the 23rd Psalm is located in this book? Have you ever noticed what comes before the 23rd Psalm? Like the 22nd Psalm, duh. Of course, I get it. But what is the 22nd Psalm? The 23rd Psalm is the Psalm of the Good Shepherd. The 22nd Psalm is the Psalm of the Cross. The 22nd Psalm is the one that Jesus quoted from the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That's the song of the cross when our Savior died, bled, was sacrificed, when he bought us with his blood so that he could be our good shepherd. That's the 22nd Psalm. He did that so you could be a part of his flock. How could I be a part of his flock? You repent and believe, the Bible says. You trust that he is who he says he is, that he did this for you in your place. He died for your sins. And then you hear his voice and you follow him. My sheep hear my voice. They know me and they follow me. Do you know him? Do you follow him? When he says, go this way, I'll trust that. I'm doing that. I've got You lead me. I'll go where you're going. I won't be my shepherd. You'll be my shepherd. I won't put my trust in those things. I'll put my trust in Jesus. He says when you do this, you get to be a part of his flock and he will shepherd and care for you and protect you and comfort you and provide for you. That's how you become a part of it. And he did it by what we see and read in the 22nd Psalm that he was forsaken and crushed when you and I were supposed to be. We were supposed to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus did that in our place. That's the 22nd Psalm. Have you ever noticed what comes after the 23rd Psalm? The 24th Psalm. Don't you know how to count, Pastor? Yeah, I do. What comes after the 23rd Psalm? The King of Glory Psalm. Who is this King of Glory? It's a picture of the throne room of the King. He bought you on the cross. And one day you will be in the throne room where He is all the glory there could ever be. On the throne, the king. How do you get there? How do you go from I deserve to be on the cross myself to I get to be at the throne of the king of glory? It's a journey through dark valleys that you need protected and comforted on. You need provided for. And you know who's getting you there? The same one who hung on the cross. The same one who's on the throne. The good shepherd. That's where we're at right now. He's taking us through this journey from The death of sin paid on the cross to the glory of God in the throne room in eternity. And right now, in this life, we're at the moment of the 23rd Psalm. Is He your good shepherd? Is He taking you from that point to that point? Man, I pray, I hope that He is. I'm out of time. But I hope I've provided you with a good perspective of the 23rd Psalm because we're going to be in this for six more weeks. Woohoo! Verse at a time. We're digging deep, we're drinking deep. It's going to be rich. I hope it will bless you. I hope this has helped you. I pray that your heart, that your cry this morning is the Lord is my shepherd if it's not we got to talk we really got to talk i pray that that is where this gut emotion of your soul is saying he is my shepherd he is my savior he is my shepherd he is my king because when we truly see it that way every day we truly see jesus christ Let's pray. Oh, our good shepherd. Oh, Lord, Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, thank you for this beautiful, amazing picture of who you are. Lord, we have cheapened you. We've tried to stick you in our pocket or put you into some kind of contemporary whatever or make you the, the, the focal point of some institution, and we have cheapened you, Lord. We have not seen you rightly as our provider, our leader, our protector, our comforter, our good shepherd. Lord, may it not be that we only start to see you when we're on our deathbed, but that we see right now what you're doing to lead us and guide us and protect us. Lord, I just hope that we're a people who just love you and cherish you because we know you and because we hear your voice and we follow you and we can just trust you in all this, even in the dark valleys and even in the places that aren't the dark valleys. Lord, we have a lot of weeks to come in this psalm. Please keep speaking to us ferociously from this. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who's never heard your voice before, so they don't know how to follow you, but maybe right now, maybe in this moment, they're hearing and they're going, wait, that sounds like the Lord calling me. Lord, make it clear it's you. Maybe not audible, but just in the thoughts and the heart and what's been heard and what's been preached. Lord, make it clear, save souls, bring them into your flock, Lord, That you would pay for their sins on the cross and that you would shepherd them, care for them, comfort them, and guide them all the way into eternity. Lord, even as those who profess to know you and follow you, Lord, sometimes we stumble. Sometimes we we get off that path and we thank you that you're the good shepherd. You bring us back over and over. or like that video where the sheep comes out of the ditch and then runs full speed and jumps right back in the ditch. That's us. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that you have such great, amazing patience for us and your flock. And Lord, I thank you that you died to bring us into this flock. And you're sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us even in this moment to bring us into glory. Oh Lord, I long for the day when I get to look eyeball to eyeball as a man sees another man into your eyes and just worship you and thank you. Oh God continue to shepherd us, and may we be good sheep to follow. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit RedeemingLifeUtah.org.